we've, we've been here in Ruston for 90 years. And through those 90 years, we've had all kinds of different experiences. And those who've been here for those 40, 50, 60, I, I mean, they could tell you all kinds of experiences that they had seen among the temple family. And there would have been some great days. There are some great days that have been celebrated. There have been some difficult days that the church has gone through. God has been faithful through all of those years. And I believe that God is still being faithful to us and that He has prepared for us a future, that He has something for us. And what He wants to do is encourage us, encourage us in our love for one another, encourage us as we make a difference for the kingdom, difference for the gospel. And really, when you read through the book of Romans, and perhaps you have, I haven't touched every verse, obviously, of this book through the sermon series. There are some I wish that I could have, and I may in the next few weeks on Sunday night or so. But if you read through it, you understand how a group of people can totally be gripped by the gospel, how the gospel would change a person's life. And not just the individual life, but it would bring them into a corporate life called the church, the family of God. And how they were to relate. And I think that's what we've been seeing the last few Sunday mornings in particular. Is how the church of God comes together and they relate to one another as a family. We're backing up a little bit from the passage we read this morning. As we look at chapter 13. But it's some of the same themes. I want to share this with you tonight briefly, okay? Beginning in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul writes and he says... Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of of the law. Paul looks at the church and he says, Oh, nothing but love. That ought to be your theme. That you would owe nothing to, to no one else except love. Now, when we look at verse 8, we may be tempted in the beginning to say, Hey, Paul says that you should not have any debt whatsoever. It's like a blanket statement he's make, making. Do not... Maintain any kind of debt. Well, if that would be the case, we would all be in trouble right now. Or most of us would be, right? Most of us in this place probably have some type of financial debt. I was a little worried. Leslie was going to be talking to me about our financial situation when we get home. But most of us have some type of financial debt. Here, Paul's not saying that you can't have any debt in and of itself. What you see, what he speaks about here is ongoing debt, any kind of ongoing obligation. He says, somehow we ought to honor our commitments. That's in the context here. Verse 7, he had said, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, you give just as you should. You honor those that you should honor. You should honor your commitment in particular. So in other words, he is saying that we don't maintain ongoing financial debt. Now, I, there are times when 
when I, I look at the scripture and I read it and I say to myself, you know, God, it's not really good that we're in debt, especially the way we are today. If you look at our culture, we're basically a people who live and thrive on debt. Now, not all of us, not all of us, but in our society today, much of it is built upon debt. Why? Because of our materialism, because we want more and more and more, so we go farther and farther and farther in debt. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, basically, we borrow more because we want to buy more and we want to have more, and, and thus, we have debt. And I will say that that has not been a good thing. I believe it has strained relationships. Ask the young couple that is in so much debt that each night it is strife in their family, in their relationship. I believe, that's, I, I believe it's difficult to live under that strain. I believe, it's, I believe it's wrong for those of us as a church to continue in ongoing debt as far as the people. I believe some of us have maxed out ourselves in debt so that we cannot give to the kingdom the way we should. I think too many people today have lived that way. But, again, God hasn't forbidden all debt. I remember when we were about to build a, uh, a building in uh, Zachary, I had a couple of people say, hey, you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to borrow anything. I said, really? He said, yeah, this says in, in the proverb about you being slave, you know, the, the lender is slave. To, you're not supposed to borrow anything. I said, did you borrow anything on your house? And he said, yeah, but that's different. I said, yeah, what? I remember this conversation so vividly. And I, and I said, why is that different? Because this is the church borrowing money. I said, oh, just a minute. You are the church. I'm the church. The church, it, the church doesn't function just when we come together. The church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when we go out. Like, we're individually. The church is flesh and blood, right? The church is not a building. So, how is it okay for you? Well, well it's just not. I love the way Chuck Swindoll answered that one person that came to him. Chuck, they came to Chuck Swindoll and said, we shouldn't be... No, he said, why do we have so much debt? And he said, because we didn't want to meet in the rain. That's the reason we didn't want to... I love that. I wish I had come up with that on something. But Debt in itself is not something that is forbidden. But what Paul talks about is a present tense verb, ongoing. In other words... When you go out, don't continue. Don't, don't just continue to owe other people unless it's love. And that's the broader context here. He's saying, owe nothing to, to no one else except love. Don't maintain ongoing debt unless it is love. And we recognize that all of us are in debt. Now, i got to be very careful here because when Jesus came and died for us, and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He paid a debt that I could never repay. And we must be careful that we don't just try to pay him back every day. Because get this, you will never pay him back. And that's not what he wants from us, is to pay him back. But he does want us to recognize the lavish love that he has poured upon us. And he wants us to go out. And he wants us to demonstrate that love to 
others. Here he says, specifically, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Oh, no, no one anything except to love one another. The language of the verse means that you love somebody that's a little bit different. They're not just like you necessarily. But you demonstrate love to them. Have you ever met somebody that you thought was just different? Probably. Some of you met a lot of people that are different. That probably means you're different. But we'll sometimes meet people that just not like they don't speak like we speak, they don't think necessarily like we think. They come from a different Paul says that when you find somebody else, even though they may be different, it's another, another kind, another person has different behaviors, a different thought life. He says, you ought to love them. He says, if you want to talk about owing something, you owe love to other people. And he says, you ought to demonstrate that love. Specifically, he says, well... He says, by following the commands of God. Now, on Wednesday night, we just started the commandments. We spoke about the first one last week. And over the next few weeks, I told you, it's kind of like a mini-series in a series, right? We've been looking at the life of Moses. And now we're just not really departing, but we're focusing upon the commandments. Notice how Paul talks about those commandments that deal with horizontal relationships. How he says that those commandments are examples of how we can love our neighbor or love somebody that's even different from us. He said, by obeying the commands. Again, when we think about the Ten Commandments, so often we think about the harshness behind them. I mean, and that's the way most of our world thinks about them. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It is so negative and it is so, it, it, it's almost like God the tyrant is just trying to forbid us from seeking true freedom. I mean, that's the way the world looks at it. And yet Paul says, it is through keeping of these commandments that you actually demonstrate love. How does he... What does he mean by this? Well, for example, if you were to take these commandments he lists about not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, not bearing false witness, not coveting, he says, if you keep that command or these commands overall, basically what you are doing is showing love to your neighbor. Well, okay, I decide I'm going to obey the command that says, I will not steal. My neighbor's pretty good with that. My neighbor likes that. Right? Wouldn't you like that if your neighbor were to say, I will not steal? You would say, hey, I'm, I'm proud. You're a good neighbor. Now, I have a lot of temple folks that are living in my subdivision. I better stop there. Um <clears throat> Yes, you would, because that is a way that we can actively demonstrate our love. When you, say, when you say, I am going to honor your marriage commitment, I'm not coveting your wife, I'm not, that's a good thing. 
What if you break, what if you break these commandments? Let's take it from that side. If you break those commandments, can you see the hurt and the pain that would come? I mean, verse 10, he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. He recognizes that if you break these commandments, you are going to harm your... If you commit adultery, my friend, that will tear families apart. It will tear relationships apart. God knew what he was doing when he gave us these commandments. He knew that these commandments would help us in our spiritual walk and also that it would help the spiritual community of believers. He knew what was best for us. Obviously, if we were to bear false witness against somebody, we were to lie, it can destroy individuals, an individual's life. So he says, you want to love? Just obey. Demonstrate your love for other people by obeying. He says, owe nothing to anyone except love. Man, what a great, what a great motto for us. That the only thing I want to owe you is love. Well, then he moves on and he says, show nothing but urgency. So owe nothing but love, but show nothing but urgency. Verse 11, and do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says that we ought to demonstrate urgency in our relationships and in our life. He says knowing the time. That word time there. It is not the word that is used to speak of chronological time. Like, uh, you, you know it's now 6.35 p.m. That's not the word that would be used to speak about chronological time. Rather, it means something like knowing that we're in this season. We're in this time frame. We're in this period. In other words, after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came... Some people call it the church age that we exist in now. But basically, we are in a season that is awaiting the coming of Christ. That one day, Christ Jesus will return. It's not if, it's when. And he says, we need to recognize that we are in this season. And, and Paul is a very good preacher here. He says... For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, we're closer now than we ever have been. And if that was the case for Paul, think about us. Here we are almost 2,000 years later. How much closer are we to the coming of Christ? To recognize that He is coming. And it is closer. I, I do believe that the coming of Christ is close. Early disciples, they thought it was close. They thought it was imminent. They lived every day. They lived every day as though Jesus Christ could come. I think that's where we've lost a little bit of our edge and expectancy and urgency. Because we have just gone about our daily business and we forget that every day could be the day in which Jesus Christ would return. Well, 
we know that he has given us even signs of the times. I don't get in all the explanations of trying to tell you this event is exactly how God is trying to prepare for this event and this event. I, I don't know all those things. But I do know what the scripture says in Mark chapter 13, verse 7, for example. He says, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. There will... These are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. Persecution. In other words, he says, all these things are going to be coming, wars and earthquakes and persecution. Turn on the news in the evenings. Like I said, I'm not one of these people that try to say, this event is exactly what precipitates this event and this event. I, but I will tell you, when I look at the cumulative effect, the reporting, I believe we are closer today than we ever have been, and I believe it is very close. And because of that, we need to show urgency in who we are. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, if you believe that the night is far spent. In other words, it's about daylight. We're getting toward the morning. We're getting to that moment when Christ Jesus would return. He says, if that is the case, he says, it is high time that we awake out of sleep. It is time for the church to wake up. Now, I admit, I admit that I have prayed that God would literally wake up the church sometimes, especially during my sermons. I'll never forget when I was in Picayune. Had a guy sat up toward the front. He would put his hands like this, and he would rock, kind of. He would chew gum. And all of a sudden, you could see him. And then in a little while, he started back again. I'd love to call his name, but I think this is going to be on the Internet, so I don't want to. When I was at Canaan, back up my first church, I was pastor. Man, I was on fire back then. I'm talking about my first church. I mean, there weren't good substantive messages, but, man, they were fire some messages. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I was an individual that just, I would come down, and I had a guy. Leslie, she can tell you the name of the guy. He would sit right here, right here. Now, we only held like 40 people in this church, so it was a very small church. He would sit right here, and he would sleep the whole time of the message. I would come down. <laughs> I know this is bad, but again, I was early on in ministry. It just burned me up sometimes. <laughs> he was sleeping. You think I can't see you out there. I can see you most of the time. All right, Some of you that try some of this stuff, I know what you're doing out there. I'm, I can see. So I would come down. I'd get right by him. Now, I was dynamic back in that day. I'm telling you, I was. So I'd pop my hands. I would just, I would just keep doing it. And he would never move. And it would make me matter and matter. And I'd be so fired up as a, I mean, so. And, but you know what would wake him up? Leslie, you know what it was. When his watch went off at noon. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He'd go off, didn't you? He would be up like, okay, are we going to finish this up or not? Are we going to? I started to say, I'm going to start over. This is the only time you've been listening to me right now, you know. 
So there have been times I pray. But listen. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says that if you recognize the urgency of the hour, if you recognize that Jesus Christ could come any moment, then you need to wake up. That the church of the Lord Jesus needs to be shaken awake. It needs to be on mission. It needs to be on purpose. It needs to be out doing what it's called to do, declaring the word of Christ. Well, Matthew described the days. He said to us, actually Jesus speaking, Matthew recording his words, said, but of that day and hour no one knows, even not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, it's just life as usual. Just life as usual. It's going on. Did not, these individuals did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore. Same language Jesus uses. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So he says, we ought to be prepared. We ought to be watching. We ought to wake up. Be awake. And fulfilling our obligations with some urgency. With some urgency. Now, in about two weeks, on September the 11th, I'm going to begin a sermon series called The Untouchables. And I'm going to be preaching on... I'm going to be preaching on some very tough subjects. Sometimes they're controversial in our society today. And I want to bring, hopefully, a biblical worldview to each one of those. One of those things that I'm going to address is this. That there is only one way by which people can be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, now our, our world has totally dismissed that message. They've adopted a bunch of universalism that one God's just as good as another, kind of like I talked about Wednesday night. But before we start pointing fingers just at the world, do you recognize how much universalism has crept into the church's pews? We may, we may be able to doctrinally affirm, verbally affirm, that we believe Jesus is the only way. But too often we live as if he's just one way. In other words, we live as if everybody's okay. Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And if that is the case... And if he is coming again soon, and it could be any moment, then it should drive us. It should drive us to speak the name of Christ to our neighbors and to our family members. It should drive us. It should wake us up. It should wake a sleeping giant, the church, so that we will fulfill our mission once again. We always wonder, why? Why are we not as evangelistic as we once were? I mean, you hear all kinds of studies on it and 
Perhaps it's because, one, we need to be reminded there is one way and one way alone and that Jesus Christ is coming and there is urgency behind it. We have grown so complacent. We have forgotten that our Lord will return. And when He returns, oh, it is a return that He has delayed because He is not willing that any should perish, He says. In other words, the only reason, well, not the only, but one of the reasons that He has not come back is because he is giving more grace and opportunity for people to come to know Christ, to know his name. But one day he will come. And at that time, there will be no bargaining, no negotiating, there will be no light coming. The day will come with finality. So we ought to owe no. We ought to owe nothing but love to people. But we need to show nothing but urgency in the way we respond in ministry and in work. And finally, if that is the case, we are to know nothing but Christ. We are to know nothing but Christ. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy. He says, don't walk in the darkness. He said, if, if Christ is coming and he's coming soon for you, you put off all those things that would weigh you down. Those things that have no part in the kingdom. He says, you put those things off. And you put on Christ Jesus. You know Him. You know nothing but Him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Notice what he says. He says, make no provision for the flesh. This idea of provision, if you were to look at the etymology of that word, you would find out that, that it means basically to have vision before. In other words... To look before and to make sure that everything is accounted for. So if you are providing for something, if you're providing for something, somehow, hopefully you can look ahead and you are making whatever adjustments in your life now so that it will be provided for. Like God. God sees ahead, right? God knows all things. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. So what does God do? God makes the necessary adjustments as he sees you walking through your life and he 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 puts everything where it should he puts the resources he this he has the substance everything he has it right there at the appropriate time why because he provides he can see before he takes takes care so basically what paul says is make no provision in other words you look ahead and make sure that you're not Allocating resources, if you want to say it that way, allocating resources of your life toward the flesh and lewdness and drunkenness and all that. He said, you plan appropriately because you are following Christ. That you plan for purity in your life. Maybe a message for another day, but how powerful would it be that we would be more intentional of planning 
more intentional with our lives that we would serve Christ and that we would set forth the necessary resources so that we would serve Him in an intentional way. Plan for purity, in other words. Where you go, what you do, plan for purity. In the way you relate to others. Make sure, if you know it's going to be a difficult little conversation you're going to have, plan. Make sure you put on Christ. Know nothing but Him in your life. Because when it's all said and done, nothing else matters but Christ Jesus. And our relationship with Him and how it fleshes out to our brothers and sisters and to those who need Him desperately. What a word. Owe nothing but love. Show nothing but urgency. Know nothing but Christ. What a word Paul speaks. And what a challenge for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you tonight. We are thankful for this precious word that you've given us. And God, tonight in this place, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that we would demonstrate that authentic love for one another and for our neighbor, those people who may be even different from who we are. Father, that we would demonstrate true love. That we would demonstrate that urgency in our lives. We know you're coming. Thank you again for the promise that one day you're going to send your son for us. Lord, help us live with the expectancy. Help us to live with the urgency of reaching others for you and helping others grow in their relationship with you. God, our heart and our prayer for so many years here at Temple has been, Lord, that we would know you, that we would love you, and that we would follow you. God, tonight, continue to reignite that passion. Revive us, renew us, help us as we commit ourselves to you once again. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?